there are certain adjectives that are just so important to adding to the impact of a sentence or a word. And when you think of grace, it's not, it, it's very difficult to not think just how amazing it is, how unbelievable it is. Even though grace in and of itself is, is such an impactful word, you would think it was enough. But when you realize that, that we're saved by an, an act of, of death, an act of somebody sacrificing their life on our behalf, it, it's, uh, the moment you think about it, it's still just, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, to think of the, the, the lifestyles that we may have had, the thoughts that we had, um, the things that we did, and the wretches that we were and are no longer. What a, what a beautiful thing. Well, <clears throat> today we're going to have a, a pop quiz. You guys ready? <laughs> it's a rhetorical quiz, so you're, don't say it out loud, and you're not going to be graded, but you can grade yourself, and just kind of think about a couple things. So I want you to kind of get, get your minds and, and, and think about some of these, these questions or statements. Uh, first is, do you have a budget? Do you have a, a budget, a financial budget? And on that budget, if you have one, what comes first? Is there anything on that budget and, and what's the first thing that you've written down or if you were going to write a budget where would you start with that budget do you tithe is is that even in your budget is that a thought in your budget is it the first thought or your first fruit as we read earlier how do you spend your extra money um, how do you spend your extra money how do you view money? How do you really view money? Uh, is it just a, is it a tool? Is it stewardship? Um, how do you view it? Who or what do you give money to? Who or what do you give money to? Uh, what about your investments? What kind of investments have you made with your money for, for future returns? As you think about those things, it, 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 it's, it's really just um, a revealing of where you are, right? That's, that's why it's a, it would be a personal quiz. It, it's not a, you know, really a right or a wrong, but, but it does kind of prove uh, where you're at and what you think because uh, what you think is going to be the way you live, right? And so if you live for personal peace and affluency, then you, you just try to collect as much as you can so that you can do as many fun things as you can self-satisfy with. Um, that would be kind of America 101, right? Just make more, make more, make more so that you can, you know, just do fun things. And, I, and I'm not, uh, don't, don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying that like jet skiing is an evil thing or playing is a, is a bad thing or vacationing. But it's the mindset, right? And, and you, and you got to think about it as, as a mindset. I think about this, this building, and I, I'm, I, I'm in awe of, of the people that we've never met. People a long time ago who, who by faith made investments, who made the, the, uh, the, the financial investment for a future yielding which was, we don't have a mortgage payment here. And that might not seem like a big deal, but most churches really are strapped by debt. And they really have to dictate the things that they do based on those financial decisions that they've made and debt, just like any normal person. I mean, if you were financially in debt, you might have to have two, three, four jobs or credit card debt or loans or whatever. I mean, debt can bring some problems, but paying things off has its benefits as well. Uh, this is a stewardship that we're called to continue that investment. And for what? Well, the topic of 
giving and tithing and money and church is, is kind of an interesting topic because it's either the, the most overemphasized topic or the most underemphasized topic. And I have to confess and admit that I tend to underemphasize it and have been corrected and uh, encouraged to, in the past that no, we, we actually need to talk about it more and, and people need to understand why it's important and what we do with the money and um, that's a good thing. I, I think for me in particular that uh, the difficulty is, you know, there's a whole false gospel movement, the health, wealth and prosperity movement. And a, a lot of those movements, that's all they talk about is money all the time and you will be happy and healthy and wealthier the more you give. And so ministries are, are built upon that. And really there's a, a, a great misunderstanding that first and foremost at the point of church is, is not giving. I mean, that's not the point of church. It's part of what happens at church. The point of giving is not what you get. That's not the point of giving. And so the whole idea that I'm going to give just like you would plant a seed in order to yield, that's not why you give. Um, so we have to be very, very careful with that. The other thing is, you know, we live here in America, and even though you may uh, pay for things, you never escape daddy government, right? And so you always need cash. And if we're not sure about that, just look at the Amish. The Amish have probably done the best of trying to stay out of the government or their surroundings, the best, they need cash too. They have to pay taxes for their land or the government will take that away just as fast as they would anybody else's. So we still have to deal with money. Even if we had no expenses, we would still have to deal with money if for nothing else just to pay taxes. Well, <clears throat> here's some kind of some common thoughts as we hash through this topic. One is, well, you know, do we have to tithe and that's kind of where we you know especially as kids we kind of start with with that like whenever we're given an instruction do i have to right it's like that's kind of a common thing it's like okay well again we want to be biblical not a bad question you can be a good brain and ask questions and okay where do i find that in the bible where do i find tithing in the bible we very clearly have a distinction between old covenant and new covenant Right. So the Old Testament and how the Old Testament looks at tithing and how the New Testament looks at tithing, they are different. They're different. Um, so we have to understand that um, the Old Testament, you know, began at that 10 percent. Uh, we, we read about that, you know, in, in Deuteronomy 26. When you really study all the different tithings and giving, givings and offerings, it really gets up to more like 27% in the Old Testament. But part of that is they don't have like a, a, a civil, you know, government. So their taxes are tied into that giving. That's why it gets up to 27%. And then the New Testament, what we see is this, you know, what we'd call a a free will offering or sacrificial giving. And we have some examples that, that we'll look at. But one of the things I want us to think about is in Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is, is Jesus um, very, very harshly rebuking leadership, rebuking the, the Pharisees. And there's a series of these, these woes and tied into all the woes is the hypocrisy of the church, the hypocrisy of the church leadership. And so one of the hypocrisies is, you know, starting at verse uh, chapter 23, verse 15, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You do one thing while you say the other, right? That's hypocrites. Because you travel about on the sea and the land to make one proselyte and when he has become one you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves well that's kind of a scary thought well what's going on here they're they're converting people and they're making them twice as devote devoted but it's a worse thing well i don't want that all right well let's let's continue verse 16 woe to you blind guides so these scribes and Pharisees who are hypocrites, they're blind guides. 
Uh, what, a, what a concept, right? You, you have a, a, a guide dog, you're blind, and the dog himself is blind too, right? Or you hire somebody to take you hiking up in the mountains and, and that person's blind. I mean, would you hire that blind guide? Well, this is the Pharisees. Uh, they're blind guides. Whoever swears by the temple, well, that's nothing. And whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold of the temple that sancti- or, or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by an altar, that is nothing. And whoever swears by an offering upon it, he is obli- obligated. So one of the things that the Pharisees would do is they would, you know, we would say, you know, I swear on a stack of Bibles, right? They would say, I swear on the temple and then go lie. Or go cheat people. And it's like, well, you're, that, that means nothing. That, that swearing means absolutely nothing. You blind men, which is more important, that offering or, alt the, or the altar that sanctifies the, alt, the offering. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And so you see this buildup and this, this warning and this, this accusation against the, the holy men of Israel and, and how they're hypocritical in the actions, these so-called religious actions and activities that they're doing. And it means nothing. And then he gets to Money. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but yet have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. And so what, what's kind of our foundation here? Well, we're going to be talking about tithing and giving, but I, I don't want you to, uh, to be blindly guided. Your salvation is not based upon giving. Um, and, and to the point where these guys wrapped their holiness in this concept of, of this giving. Now, they were giving cumin and, you know, this is a society that's not just cash-based society, right? So, so those, are, those goods and trades and stuff are, are, have value. And in their minds, in their twisted minds, they thought somehow, well, I'm a giver, so I'm good. Giving does not save you. Giving does not, you know buy you anything in the kingdom of God. And so let's just be very, very clear about that. And if you think it does, well, then, then you're blind. That's not what the gospel of grace preaches. So again, it goes back, well, then do I have to tithe, <laughs> right? Well, let's see what the scriptures say. Uh, we, we have questions. We live in a society today where it's not uncommon for people to just be immersed in debt. Right? They're behind the eight ball for various reasons. Um, and so the question is, well, I mean, do I have to tithe and give when I'm already in debt? You know, and those are challenges and things that we, we have to self-examine. You know, maybe you go to Starbucks every day and buy a $5 mocha. Maybe there's your tithe, you know, that you can, I mean, we all have areas where, we have to just kind of, and I use that because that's something that I enjoy. Um, and it's like, well, it, what if I did that every day, five bucks a day times 30 days a week, you know, a month, it's 150. It's like, well, there's, there's a good tithe right there that maybe you should consider that or, or a sacrifice. We think of the widow's might and, and we'll turn to that later. But the widow's might were basically it's like she, she gives a penny, right? And you're like, well, that's nothing. Well, it's everything when it's everything you have. And so the, the heart, the heart matters. Um, well, what about, do I, do I tithe before or after taxes, right? Is it based on the gross or the net? You be the judge. Bible doesn't say, okay? Um, 
Well, what about, you know, I, I give to others. We're talking about what it means to be members in a church body, in a church community. That would be Ravensdale Bible Church. Ravensdale Bible Church as a church has financial needs and obligations. And we're the people who attend this church. So while there's other needs and obligations elsewhere, like we can you know, drive down to Seattle and see all kinds of needs, is that our priority obligation? You're welcome to give anywhere in the world. Um, you're welcome to give to all kinds of different you know, projects. There's a lot of different organizations, widow, orphan, poor organizations, mercy missions and things like that that need uh, financial support. And, and that's a good thing. But we also have to evaluate, well, are we doing that and neglecting your home church? Um, that's something to consider. And so our understanding then as, as church members when we're studying this topic, we have to think as, as this collective and whole, not as individuals. Uh, and there's a difference. We tend to think, especially as you know, good you know, Americans, we think about ourselves, right? We, 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 we think about ourselves. What's in it for me? And the definition of church thinking is to think about the body of Christ. So you really have to think in terms of, of, of the us, of the membership, because that, that changes things a little, a little bit. So today we want to review just four biblical reasons uh, why church membership includes this, this first fruit tithing idea. And so the first one is, well, we tithe for God. We tithe for God. Second is, uh, when we tithe, there, there, there is a personal blessing. We want to look at that. Third reason we tithe is for our church, for our church body. And the fourth reason why we tithe is for others. So let's take a look at that. And, and again, we, uh, we already looked at uh, Deuteronomy 26. You shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground and you shall bring it in from your land that, that the Lord your God gives you and you shall put it in a basket and go to a place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. We, we, we have to set our minds right. The, this gift, this offering is to the Lord. You're, you're giving to the Lord. It reminds me of Ephesians 5 and we, we talk about being married and we talk about the the role of the husband the wife and the husband is the head and the and, and the wife submits and serves the husband how in what way as unto the lord so she's serving the lord not that guy that guy's a sinner i hate to break it to you um he's a sinner he's not perfect he's far from perfect the closer you get the longer you know him the more you know and understand how imperfect he is, that's not why you follow. You're following the Lord. You're following God. And in God's wisdom, he has set him as head of the house. And he's got his own issues that he's got to be responsible for. Well, this is the same thing. We're giving to God. We're, we're giving to God. And, and I love the reminder. We're, we're given the first, not the last, so when we think about the budget, is, is it the first thing on your budget line or the last thing that you kind of, oh yeah, I forgot. I got to give something to God. If for nothing else, ju just as a graphic illustration, go home, get your budget out if you've written it, look at it. If you haven't written one, write one and you put God first. That, that, that reminds you of what your top priority is with this, this thing we call money. It's not your mortgage. It's even though it might probably the biggest it's, it's God. And then the, I love the reminder. So you're giving this produce, think of production right now. This is a, an agrarian culture. So they farm and that's easy to understand. But in our work, we go and we work and we produce, uh, 
We're either serving other people, we're creating, building things, whatever it is. We're, we're in production, right? We're in production. And there's some that are so skilled and so talented and work so very, very hard. And all of that's true. But don't be confused. It, it, it's still from the Lord. The, the, the blessings from the Lord. And if you're not sure about that, ask a business owner who's very skilled and works very hard and works on his own. Ask him how many times he's been stiffed on a payment. Sometimes you don't get paid. <laughs> and so you think you're in control. <laughs> you're not in control of anything. Uh, the Lord is in control. And as, even though we feel like we have a, a better hand on this than the farmer who's got to rely on the sun and, and, and the rain, uh, we too still are relying um, that we get paid at the end of the day. I mean, you realize when you're like working for somebody and stuff, uh, almost all the time, you're two weeks behind, right? It's kind of an interesting little, so you think when you quit and at the end and you know, they give you a check, you know, two weeks after you've quit, you're like, man, these are really nice guys. I still got paid even, they owed you the money and they've been owing you the money. That's just the way it works. Um, 10%, that's what, Tithe means, tithe means 10%. Uh, so, you know, let's just understand that. There's a clear biblical call for us to give. It's throughout scripture. It's, it's the, the Bible is not shy on this. Um, so there's no reason for us to, to shy away. So the first reason we tithe is for God. And let's look at Matthew 6, Matthew 6. And again, if you're not sure, Jesus is the one who repeats this. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's an Old Covenant, an Old Testament perspective of giving. No, here's Jesus in the New Testament repeating, addressing you know, how we use money. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the great sermon given by God, one of the things that he comes out of the gate with is, is giving. And so Matthew 6, verse 1 through 3, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. So what was happening here was, and this is crazy, the, the religious leaders at the time or people with wealth would actually, like here they come down the street, right? And they're coming to give. And they would actually be like blowing the horn so that everybody could see that here I come with my offering It'd be like standing behind in the back with the box. And, you know, right now you guys are all looking forward and not paying attention to the box. And there was a little bell back there. And somebody went back there and went, right? Just humbly put it in the box, you know? Do you have a bigger box? This box won't contain what I'm putting in there right now. But I, you know. And we've seen people do things like this. Um, it's, ama uh, it's amazing when I, I was, I've been involved in a lot of major gift uh, departments at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. It's part of what I did with Rainer Christian Schools. And it was amazing. The people who would say, like, I don't want anybody to know. I want to do it anonymous. It was like a, a, a blaring sign that they wanted everybody to know. It was crazy how that would work. Um, and it's, it's just one of those things. That's why you go to hospitals and universities and schools and there's names on the building. It's because, hell, you know, I would just love to give back to my, you know, alma mater. And, you know, just as long as, you know, you got the Jamie building up there. So everybody knows I paid for that. Um, Jesus says, look, beware of practicing this kind of self-righteousness. This isn't for you. This is for God. You're not going to have any reward with your father who is in heaven. 
Your father who, in, who is in heaven is not impressed. Uh, is, is, this is not honoring to him. In fact, if there were a way for you with your right hand to give and your left hand doesn't even know what's happening, that, that, that's how uh, quietly and discreetly you should be doing this. Um, Matthew 16, 19 go, goes on. Uh, later on in the passage, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. So, look, you're supposed to plan. You're supposed to plan for the future, right? We see good biblical principles and we see the principles of the ant and storing up for the winter. We see the principles with Joseph and how he helped secure the wealth of Egypt by, by having storehouses. The idea here isn't that you can't save, okay? The idea here isn't that you... You know, that you shouldn't be, be wise and prudent. The idea here is that your heart is set on that as some form of false sense of security and confidence. Your treasure is not here on earth where moth and rust can destroy it, where thieves can break in and steal it, or the government can figure out a way to tax it out of your hands. No, you're supposed to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves can't break in or steal. So again, here's this money and it's set aside, but that's not your confidence. That's not your hope. That's not your true treasure. This is why we see a lot of men who near the end of their lives or whatever, they, they figure it out. They, they build up these businesses and they, you know what, they get rid of them. And they say, you know where my heart's always been has been in this area. And, and they sell everything and they, they donate to those things because they realize that, you know, that's an investment that I'm making in the future. You know, when they I was watching a couple schools that were started 100 years ago, and it's just like one of them was started by a group of pastors. Hillsdale College was started by pastors. 100 years later, it still stands, may not be as strong as it once was, but it's still there. You know, College of the Ozarks, same thing. It's like, what a legacy. What a legacy to, to leave behind. And those people understood that hundreds and thousands of people would then be impacted by not storing up treasures on earth. Jesus continues, uh, Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Again, it doesn't mean you can't work hard. It doesn't mean you can't reap what you sow. It doesn't mean you can't have wealth and, and can't accumulate money. What it means is that you better be careful, though. You, you better be careful with that. Why? Because, you know, it's hard to set your heart and affections in two different areas. It's hard to serve two different masters. And so one of, the, uh, one of the big debates right now that's happening in the world is, you know, the, the, are, are women equally compensated in the workforce? And so especially as CEOs, and so as they evaluate this and CEOs, well, why are there so many more men there are CEOs than women? It's like, well, part of it is just the history. I mean, there's time that's, you know, people are already in place. The second thing is, well, more men start companies. I mean, you, you, we can all be CEOs tomorrow. Just go sign up. It takes 15 minutes to become a CEO. And then it's up to you to build that company, whether or not you become the kind of CEO that we all know, you know, from households. But the question that was posed was, why would you want to be? When did that title become like the greatest thing since sliced bread? Why is CEO title better than homemaker? Um, and do you really, have you really looked at who the top CEOs are? They have been divorced over and over and over again. They have, you know, their kids are a mess and a train wreck. Their lifestyles are, they're, they're addicted and to all kinds of different things. Is that really a better thing? Um, well, they so immerse themselves in these building these multi-million billion dollar companies they forget everything else. Nothing else matters. There's no balance. And so Jesus reminds us that, look, when you give, it's not about boasting. Give in secret. 
you know what? Don't make it, you know, your treasure. This is just a tool. Don't serve money as a master or the things it buys. Remember, Augustine says that which you love most is your God. So whether it's money or recreational hobbies or whatever it is, we've got to be careful with that. Like I said, it's, it's not new. If you turn back with me to Leviticus 27, Leviticus 27 tied into the sacrifices and the offerings, Leviticus 27, 30. Thus, all the tithe at the land of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. This is all the Lord's anyway. Don't ever forget that. It is holy to the Lord. If therefore a man wishes to redeem part of his tithe, he shall add it one-fifth of it and every tenth part of the herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. I think sometimes because we have a money society, a cash society, it makes it confusing as to like what that first fruit offering is. Well, if we if we sold apples and we had an orchard, you can visually see the the hey the ten bushel the first ten bushels of apples go to the Lord right that'd be an easy thing to see, and for us we we forget that hey your hard work that th- that is your first fruit, it's just transitioned into cash that's all, but it's the same thing and and you should. Um, enjoy that and appreciate that and understand that it comes from the Lord and so you're just honoring him and giving it back. Numbers 18.26 says the tithe offering is to the Lord. Leviticus 23.10 It's first fruits and I love that phrase first fruits. It's the first thing on the budget. It's the first fruit from the, the tree that reaps the harvest. Very first one. Second uh, Chronicles 31 gives us uh, kind of another little picture of, of what this first fruit means. And it, again, it's, it's not just cash, right? It's, it's, how, it's the how and what the Lord has blessed you with. So Second Chronicles 31, 4 and 5, also he commanded the people who lived in Israel to give the portion due to the priests and to the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. This is the law. And as soon as he, as the order spread, the sons of Israel provided in abundance the first fruits. So for Bob, it's grain. For Rick, it's new wine. For Kenny, it's oil. For Dave, it's honey. And all the produce in the field. And they brought it abundantly, the tithe of all. This is such a great reminder of how the body of Christ has unique and special gifts right? There's, there's nothing more that's more important, one or the other. It, it, it's, it's all a gift. Think, think of, the, of, the, of the Hebrews. They're coming out of, e, out of Egypt, and God blesses them, right, with manna and quail. Manna and quail gets old after about three days, <laughs> Right? Manna and quail, manna and quail, manna. At some point, you know, some brothers going, man, I wish we had a grain guy. Oh, man, where's the new wine guy <laughs> to wash this down with? Oh, if somebody had honey, just once honey, right? You start to appreciate what others bring to the table. We're going to have a potluck. The cool thing about the potluck isn't the thing that like you brought. It's the thing that somebody else brought that you don't even know is over there right now. It's like, ooh, I've never seen that before. That's, and, and God just says, look, wh- whatever you have, whatever way I've blessed you with, whatever job you have, that's okay. It's a first fruit offering. God also within this establishes part of this payment and the reason why we need uh, this, these items and, and, and money is, well, this was to provide for the house of God, not just the, the structure of the tabernacle and the temples or today the church, uh, but the priests, the, 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 the ministers that are there. And Numbers 18, 8 through 20 talks about this perpetual allotment that, that's given to uh, the priesthood. Numbers 18, 31, it's a compensation uh, for service in the tent meeting. 
Second Chronicles 3.1.5, due to the priests who devote themselves to the law. So this is God's way of providing for the church to, to also provide for, uh, for the, the man of God or the, the teacher who is then in that building. So we don't tend to think of, again, of the church as a business, right? But, but the church functions a lot like that. It has expenses, right? It's got payments it's got to make, and it has uh, a management team who works there and who's there. And so that's part of why the church requires money as well. See, God doesn't need your money. I mean, you guys understand that, right? God so much doesn't need your money that it's not even, money's not even a thing. <laughs> it's just first fruit offerings. It could be grain. Um, it could be flowers, especially if you're in Holland. God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. That's why the master that we serve is him. That's why we, you know, we, we don't treasure this money. Um, God is first. God is first. And he clearly wants mankind to understand the proper, the, 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 the proper position of money because money is real. Money is something that we all have to deal with and learn how to be good stewards with how we use this tool for devotion to God, for ministry purposes, so that moth and rust does not destroy. And so one of the great questions would be, well, what does God treasure? If the first reason we tithe is for God, what would God desire that I, that I do with this? How, how could he best use it? That, that's a good perspective to have. Well, the second reason we tithe is there is a personal blessing. Uh, Acts 20.35 said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. For, for, for those who've, who've given, there, there, there's such a joy in giving. Such an amazing joy. Actually, receiving is, uh, can be a hard thing. It's a humbling thing. Um, a lot of people, one, will refuse to receive anything, and that might be a, a bad pride. Uh, and another thing is it's just it's embarrassing and humbling to receive, so they don't really like it. It, it's, it makes you uneasy. But giving feels great. It feels great to give. This is why people give sandwiches and five bucks to people on the side of the road, because it makes them feel good, even though... For the most part, they're probably enabling that person's addiction and problem. It's a bad thing. But they feel good because it feels good to give. It does feel good to give. Um, Psalm 22, 9 says, uh, the generous, those who are generous will be blessed. You will be blessed by your generosity. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be an equal amount. Deuteronomy 14, 24 through 29 shows us that, look, there's, there's different levels of how you give. We're not all required to give like everybody's got to give 20 bucks. It, it doesn't work that way. Somebody gives 100 bucks and somebody gives a quarter. And that's okay. Turn with me to Luke, Luke 21, as this is just such a, a great and graphic illustration. Luke 21 Verse 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two small copper coins. Two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they... All out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Again, as a rhetorical, think of your budget. Think about like your whole check, right? Because that check goes to mortgages and car payments and food and insurance and school bills, all kinds of things, right? Could you imagine writing, turning that check back over? It's all that you have to, to giving it back to God. Um, well, why wouldn't you do that? You wouldn't not do that because you don't lo not love God. That, that's not the issue. The issue is you'd be afraid of not paying your bills. 
The, the fear, well, what happens if I don't pay my mortgage? What happens? I mean, is the repo man going to come take my car, my front lawn? I mean, are we going to eat? I mean, the, you, you'd be riddled with fear. And, and yet here's somebody who gave everything. When they have nothing to, to give that, there, there's no surplus. There's no, well, I, I do have extra money in, in, the, in my bank or I've got a safe or whatever. No, this is somebody who had nothing. And this, this two small, small copper coins was like the smallest amount of currency. It's the smallest amount. So literally, it's like two pennies. And, and this is what I love. And this is why I want you guys, the, the, the personal blessing and the takeaway is God sees right through your bank account and he sees your heart. It's not the amount. Praise God, it's not the amount. It's, it's where your heart is when, when you give it. And so you don't have to give every cent over. Um, again, it, this is a call to where her heart is and that's what the Lord wants. The Lord wants a right heart and not a hypocritical one and not one who thinks, well, I write big checks, so I'm pretty good. Um, and I should be rewarded for that. That's why the health wealth prosperity movement is so twisted because at the end of the day, it's the epitome of selfishness, not selflessness. It's the epitome of what's in it for me, not here's an offering to the Lord. That's why we have to be reminded it's a first fruit offering to the Lord. I think we can visually picture and understand putting that on the altar. I wish that's how we could, we could tithe and make our payments. You know, if there was an altar and you could put it up there, nobody would see it and it just kind of disappeared. But you'd have that graphic illustration of that's how I give. It's an act of faith. Um, it's an act of faith. You know, I kind of go through who, what, when, where, why, and how a lot of times. Um, it begins with, again, understand God loves, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God doesn't love a giver. God doesn't love a big giver, a big donor. I always hated that term, big donors, right? God loves a cheerful giver. So your, it begins with your attitude, right? Devoted to the Lord, happily, happily, happily. Do you grind out? Oh, I hate doing this. That, that's a problem. That's something to pray about. That's something to, to, to beseech the Lord on and, and, and get an understanding of that. Because I don't care what the amount is. If you're doing that with a, a spiteful heart, it, it's not an acceptable offering. Just ask Cain how that works. The, the Lord's perfectly willing to reject bad offerings. So who will Acts 2.44 believers? The offering is for the, this church, for this community. It, it's for Christians. It's for believers. Acts 2.44, the believers were the ones who, who came. Again, what is it? It's a sacrificial heart offering with an attitude of generosity, with that widow's might perspective. Uh, when, when are we supposed to, to give? Well, we're supposed to give when, when we meet. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, one through two, they would meet and take up a collection. Uh, where again at the church, Acts two forty four through forty five. Why Psalm nineteen seven? The law is perfect and it restores the soul. This is part of of what we see in Scripture that we're supposed to do. And again, just ask yourselves, well, what if we didn't? Well, what happens first as well? There's probably nobody here to teach. Then there's probably no building, well, then there's no church, right? Things vanish real, real quick. Um, how, again, a reminder, we're supposed to give this discreetly and quietly, Matthew 4. So consider this. Consider that we're not supposed to do this, you know, with a grudge. We're to do it cheerfully. And if you do that, then you will have been building up this investment in this treasure where moth and rust does not destroy, does not destroy. So when we tithe, we, 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 we're blessed, personally blessed. We free ourselves from the enslavement and the bondage of money, the enslavement, enslavement of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Let me, let me tell you, 
You can't. You can't keep up with the Joneses. First of all, there's too many of them. You always find one that's doing better than you, either his car, either his house, either his clothes, either his vacation trips, either his you know, equipment. I mean, somebody always has something better than you. It, it's a vicious cycle. You can't keep up with the Joneses. Don't be a slave to that. This is why people become slaves to debt is because if they don't have it now, they've got to have it. So they go out and get it even though they can't afford it. The third reason we tithe, it's for the church. It's for the church. The model, again, in 1 Corinthians 16.1 is when, when you're looking at the church of Corinth, when they would come together, they would just take a collection. Right? That, that's where you get the idea of the, of the plate being passed around. And we don't pass around the plate. And the reason why we don't is because uh, I, I think it's really, really hard then to give in secret when it's not in secret. Right? It, it's in... And I don't know if, I mean, maybe you write, you know, one check a month. Maybe you do it weekly. You know, those are things that are decided between you and the Lord. But, you know, the guy next to you is like, eh, he didn't give it. And it's like, yeah, he PayPal'd it. He didn't put it in a plate. So just too many problems that happen when you visually see that thing going back and forth. And it's let's remove that because we, we don't want to tempt ourselves with judging others or thinking of others. Uh, that's why we try to do it discreetly in the back. Uh, it's for the common good, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Ephesians 4, 12. Not only the widow, orphan, and the poor, but the body of Christ, the church itself. Uh, Romans 12, 8 is, a, is a, another great reminder for us, and I've kind of touched on it already. But think in terms of, of spiritual gifts right remember this is for the body romans 12 verse 4 for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same functions we don't all have the same functions so we who are many are one in the body of christ and individually members of one another and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let each exercise them accordingly if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith if service and serving or he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation or he who gives with liberality and so some are going to be called to give more to give liberally and that's part of a giftedness so so understand this spiritual gift comes from God. So God has uniquely gifted you in different ways. Now, we all may have an ability to teach on a certain level, but then there's another level of, of spiritual giftedness. We're all called to give on a certain level, but then there's God is going to bless you with the gift of giving. How? By blessing your business, by blessing your sales, by blessing your crop. So, you think you're blessed financially because you're a wizard, right, in business. Maybe the whole reason why you're blessed is because this is just all part of God's spiritual gift to you. So maybe you can humble yourself a little bit um, and understand, well, I'm generous and I give and I'm blessed to give because I have an abundance. And the whole thing is orchestrated by God. Plenty of businesses fail that are just like the one you're in. So why doesn't yours fail? Why doesn't your job fail? Why, why does your paycheck keep coming in? Um, something that we take for granted, but, but we shouldn't. Um, there are church expenses. We, you know, we tithe for our church. Again, there's church ex expenses. Um, we're called in our church to give locally, to give regionally, to give statewide, to give to the outer remotest parts of the earth. Um, and so that's part of what we use with our gifts that, that we all share. And then we send that out to uh, our, our ministry partners, whether it's the AMAX or the stores in, in the remotest parts of the world, or if it's with Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, or if it's with the Delphia, we become ministry partners with them with the gifts that we take in. We are able to pay for paint. We're able to pay for, you know, air conditioning if we need it, right? What, what prevents us from having like air conditioning? Having the money in the bank to go buy it and pay for it. So if we want air conditioning, well, that's how we do that together, right? 
Air conditioning is a nice thing. When it's cold in the winter, it's nice to have heating. Uh, then we got to pay for the heating. We got to pay for the oil, the electricity, and all that good stuff. And that goes up in the winter because we run it more because we're cold. Um, well, these are expenses. And so the church then uses and pulls that money together to then pay for those expenses. Uh, I mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 9, 13 through 19, it's for the, the provision of, of the pastor, to be able to have a pastor. Um, 1 Timothy 5, 17 says um, that the pastor's work is, is worth double the honor. And yet we also see in 2 Corinthians eleven eight 8 that Paul uh, had a tent making ability. And so I like to try to think of myself as the, in the tradition of more like Paul, where, where it's a combination of both, where not only can I tent make and, and bring to the table something outside of the church, but the church also uh, helps provide for, for, for my income and my wage. And so that's how our church is set up. And so when we give, uh, a lot of the, the provision goes to the pastor. Um, and that's a good thing. And it's a good thing for the pastor to, to you know, if you want to have 12 kids, then, you know, maybe you got to earn extra money <laughs> to have that many kids, you know, and to pay for 10 weddings a year, you know, kind of a thing. Um, so that's, that, that's, a, that's how we work this together. But the church is alive. The church is, is alive. Right now outside there's a meter that's going, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just the way it works. Uh, and what a blessing. What a blessing that we have a place. Uh, we went to churches where, you know, we rented from, from a, um, a school. You know, you had to tear up and tear, set up and tear down every week, every week. This is an absolute blessing that we as a church get to enjoy together. Um, because those before us and, and we too carry on the tradition of tithing for the church. And then finally, there's specifically a fourth reason. We tithe specifically for other people, for others. Um, Jesus taught us to give. Again, on Servant on the Mount, uh, we're, we're to give, give in secret. Um, we're, we're to give to help support the widow, orphan, poor. Every town that Jesus went into, he was involved in mercy missions. And for us in today's day and age, uh, mercy, you know, we don't have the ability to walk in and just heal everybody, right? We don't, I don't have the ability to walk in and, and you know, 4, 000, feed 4,000, feed 5,000 people. And so we leverage money to feed widow, orphan, poor. We leverage money to provide hospitals. One of the best books I, I, I ever read was a, was a book called, you know, you know Surprised by Jesus. And as the idea of taking a look at, well, what if Jesus didn't exist? I mean, do you realize all over the world how many different things have been founded by Christians because of Jesus? So when you think of the Red Cross, a believer sees people dying in the battlefield on both sides and says, well, I'm just a Christian. I'll help both sides. There is no enemy, right? Red Cross is invented. The YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association to help young men who were homeless, who were jobless, who needed structure. Hospitals, that's why hospitals to this day, almost all of them are either run by colleges or run by you know, Christian or Catholic organizations. Why? Because there was a time when there was no hospital and Christians gathered together and said, you know what, we need a place where we can help people the black plague or illnesses. And so opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, you will find that most of the time there isn't a Christian association behind that, carrying out the tradition of Jesus, of widow, orphan, poor. That's part of why in 1 Corinthians there's a collection taken up because in our town, we have a problem with leprosy. And so this is how we handle leprosy. In our town, we have a, a, a problem with, you know, handicapped people. Every town, every church has different needs that it needs to support. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 2 through 3. Another great reminder that it's according to our means and according 
to our ability. And so we may not be the biggest church, um, which means, you know, we don't have that many families, that many people. But according to our means and according to our ability, we're still able to support missionaries. We're still able to support a pastor. We're still able to support other ministries that are around us according to our means and our ability. Turn with me to Leviticus 19. I, I, I love the mindset here of Leviticus 19 and how we, we tithe and how we should look at others. Again, this is, this is a time frame where you've got a farmland, you've got a crop. Leviticus 19, uh, beginning of verse 9. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the very corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave it, leave them for the needy and for the stranger, for I am the Lord your God. Now, we could have a whole sermon on, on, on this couple little passages. couple things to point out. One is what I love is the needy, the poor. They still have to work to go pick up what they're gleaning, right? So they don't just sit and do nothing. They're, 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 it's, it's, it's not welfare, right? It, it's not this idea where you literally do nothing for a handout. They do something. They still got to go out and sweat just to, to pick up the, the fruit that's you know, on the corners or on the ground. Now, we've driven back and forth through the San Joaquin Valley many, many times, and I love looking at the fields. I love looking at row and row and row, and they're so perfect and beautiful. And, and I often think of this, and I think of, well, okay, so what's the gleaning deal, right? And go, so we're going to take this field, and we're going to cut the corners. And it's like, whoa, that's a, I mean, how many trees are in that corner? Wow, that's that. That's a lot of walnuts. That's a lot of almonds. That's a lot of grapes. That's, that's a lot of product there. And then you look on the ground. If you go there in the right time, I mean, you just see like tons of ripe, you know, fruit on the ground. It'd be perfectly delicious. You know, wipe it off. It'd, it'd be phenomenal. And you think to yourself, well, that'd be easy, right? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Some poor people came and, and clipped the corners. Don't be so greedy. Don't be so selfish. You know, you've got, you know, acre upon acre. Now talk to the farmer about the value of the corners, right? That's his money. That's your, maybe that's his profit. You're, you're reaping what he has sown. Then I want you to think of it a little bit differently. Think of Costco, right? So my field is Costco, the warehouse. And now let's cut the corners of Costco. And in that corner is, you know, oh, whoa, that, well, that's the tires are in that corner. That, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of value in those tires. Or, you know, here's the, the milk and the produce, the dairies in that corner. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of value there. I'm not so sure that I want you to come take the stuff that's fallen off the shelves at Costco, right? It's like, whoa, the, that's a $400. <laughs> you know, generator that fell into the aisle there. Well, it's, it's the same thing. It, it really is the same thing. When, when you've worked for something, when you've invested, when you've toiled, and then they just give it away, it doesn't matter if it's an apple or if it's a tire. It's still the same principle that God has given you a reward for your hard work, for your, your, your production, but you're called to give some back. Figure out a way in today's day and age to help the gleaner. There will always be poor with us. There will always be the needy. Now, the other thing is, well, what can they do to work through this? Um, one of the great principles, you know, I, I, I loved, and when I first met Jim, uh, you know, Jim, you know, I think of him often in so many different ways, but, you know, he had asked me, uh, hey, do you want, you, you want some wood, some firewood? And I was like, oh boy, we actually, we were just talking about that. We do need a, a bunch of wood. It's like, great. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that he's going to get on the phone and call the wood delivery guy? 
to drop off two cords of wood at our house and some wood delivery guy's gonna like unstack it and stack it perfectly in our shed and you know we don't have a shed so build a shed for it no what that means is we are gonna go into the woods and either knock a tree down chop it into rounds take it split it chop it carry it load it you know so many of you know exactly what that what that means well we are receiving the blessing of, of getting wood. We're also w working for it too, right? That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And so that's what's missing in the, uh, when you look at like the homeless situation, that's why it becomes enabling and not helping. Because if you just give it to people and they don't do anything, well, that's bad. And for those of you who have kids and raise kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about because um, you can't just give them everything. It spoils them and makes them rotten. So these are the reasons, some of the reasons why a church membership includes first fruit tithing. First of all, it's for God. This is for God. We're giving it to God. Um, there's a personal blessing. You, you are blessed more for giving than receiving. We do it for the church. It's the church model. This is how we come in community together. And then we're doing it ultimately because it's not just coming to this church box, but this church's responsibility then is to assimilate that into real ministry, into real things for real people so that the gospel can be praised and glorified. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity.